Welcome to the Infinite Spark of Being podcast. My name is Keith Welsh. Uh, this is another journal episode, and today isn't really a topic. In fact, I might release this uh, a little earlier than normal as kind of a quote-unquote bonus. But this is kind of um, just, I just wanted to complain about something, and I wanted you to, if, I, if, if we're really honest about what's happening here, I believe my complaint is valid, and I want you <laughs> to hear it, right? That's, that's really what's happening here, um, because I don't want your feedback. Um, of course, you can always reach out, but, like, ultimately, like, I mean, no offense, but I don't really, like, this is just, I'm complaining, right? Um, and if you'd like to support and facilitate me complaining and living, <laughs> living and doing this thing, uh, you can do that at the infinite spark of bean.com. Uh, there's a Patreon and a Venmo and the, the shop and all that shit. Um, but so, okay. Well, let's start with like my little, uh, widget analogy, right? Um, those of you that don't know, so if there's an object in the middle of the room and you don't know what this object is, you have no, your mind has no context for it, and so I inform you of what this thing is, what it does, why it is, yada, 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 good, bad, whatever, right? Later on, you encounter this object and you experience a series of thoughts and feelings about the object. You are not experiencing your experience. You're experiencing my description of the object. Um, in Carlos Castaneda's book, uh, Journey to Islam, his, uh, his shaman Juan Matus says, you are given a description of reality and from a very early age, you are beaten over the head with that description until you repeat it back to them. Which I love that statement because I can't think of of a statement that better explains what it's like to be a child in the West than that statement right there. Um, at least in my experience of being a child in the West. So, um, anyway, uh, <clears throat> why? So, <clears throat> a lot of times I read or see something and I read it, I see it, and I believe it. Right? And, sorry, why I believe it or, or feel it to be true. I don't know. I mean, you know, I guess in my mind, I compare it, contrast it to a bunch of other things really quickly. And then my nervous system responds a certain way. And so I decide that I like it. A habit that I've developed over the years is when I really like something, I slow my roll. I go, okay, hold on a second. What the fuck is this? Right. And I really start to take it apart. Um, I did that with Badahari, I did that with Lama Losan. I've done that with, uh, you know, some of you know Prem. Um, I've done that with all of these people. And it's not because, you know, I, I know what I look like. So when I do that, it can seem like I'm being confrontational, but I cannot help my genetic makeup. Um, I look the way I look and I'm not trying to be confrontational, but it's just, there's questions that I want to, that I want. And sometimes the other people that are around the teacher, they're just fawning over this person. And, and while I, you know, I enjoy them too, right? I enjoy the teacher as well. I mean, I, I'm in the same room with you for a reason, but I'm just not going to just buy in. I, I want the truth. I don't want comfort. I want the truth. I don't want to feel better trying to go through this parking lot and somebody's got to get their car towed. That sucks. Um, you know, when you see somebody having car trouble and your heart legit goes out to them because it's like, God, I've been there. I hate that. Um, anyway, um, because cars are so expensive. My fucking God, like to do anything, you know, it's like, ugh. so, um, it's again, it's, it's that I'm here to learn. I'm here for the truth. Uh, and that was very early on in my life. Um, now I, I don't, 
I don't know that I believe that there is a truth or even a reality that is fixed and solid. I mean, that's what Buddha would talk about when he talked about anatta, or that the source of suffering is not just dissatisfaction, but it, it comes from the belief in a fixed, solid state, which is where the, which is why we grasp and cling. It's why there's dissatisfaction. So ultimately, the 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 suffering or dissatisfaction or whatever you call it, comes from the mind's need for solidity, which is something Chogyam talked about a lot, I believe, about um, that the uh, the ego or whatever wanted there to be like a fixed, solid something to lean on. Like when Ramdas would say there's nowhere to stand, you know, that was part of the frustration was that you try to stand here, but then the ground moves and you realize you can't stand there. Um, anyway, back to the widget thing. So, you know, you, you, uh, this, that you believe it, right? Um, there's something interesting that Lama Lhosan would do. And I believe that a lot of Buddhist teachers do this. I believe it's, in my understanding, it's part of the way Buddhism is taught. Uh, <clears throat> and it comes from the understanding that everyone kind of learns differently and everyone's spirit, soul, psyche, whatever, requires something different. Like, everyone doesn't need the same things, meaning that, um, uh, that you know, on Sundays, he would say, for instance, there's a practice called Chinre, the Chinreze practice, which is, if you've ever heard the, the mantra, Omane Padme Hom, the mantra of compassion, that's from the Chinreze practice. Uh, in China, it's Kuan Yin, Akaluk, Akahoh, I always screw this name up, and just the Sanskrit is Akaluk Teshvara. Oof, I perhaps butchered that. But when you see the Chinese lady, she's very tall and she's got her hands in, in the prayer mudra, that is... Kuan Yin, Chinreze, in Tibetan Buddhism as a man, uh, Akaloka Teshvara, God, I feel like I'm really fucking that up, uh, that's just in India, I don't, I don't, I think it's also a female, but, um, <clears throat> I think the reason that, uh, <clears throat> in Tibetan Buddhism, a lot of these things are male is because Tibetan Buddhism is linked in and woven in with Bon their shamanistic religion that was there before Buddhism. I don't know. I'm not a fucking anthropologist. So, um, anyway, uh, so on Sundays we would do the Chinreze practice, right? It's the, it's, and to do these sadhanas, there's like, there's prayers, there's, you know, there's recitation of mantras, there's all this stuff, and, and it's a whole practice. It's like a, it's got an order to it. But he would say things like, I'm sorry, I'm very congested this morning. Every morning I'm very congested. But uh, he would say, you know, Chinreze is this being, this deity that lives on another plane. And when we do this practice, we get to essentially dip our toe into his mind stream. You know, so instead of soul, they say like mind stream, right? Consciousness, I guess. I don't know. But you get to essentially download a piece of Chinreze, meaning like, so if Chinreze is the Buddha of compassion, well, then you get to download some of his compassion for yourself, and it goes into your merit, you know, which, like when you say, you know, may all beings benefit, you know, essentially that I'll, my accumulation of merit through practice and diligent study, uh, hopefully you can also benefit from my work as well which is, you know, what you're sharing as a Buddha, this thing, anyway, boy, I, I'm on the d digression tra train today, uh, so, <clears throat> I, 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 I turned this on wanting to complain, but now I just find myself needing to explain something, there's, that, and it probably, it's the fear that I don't want my complaints to just sound crazy, I want them to make some sort of sense, but um, so on Sunday, uh, he would say that, that, that Chinreze is on this other plane. And when you do this practice, you dip your toe into his mind stream and get some of that. OK, fine. Great. Me, when I hear that, I'm like, OK, this is an allegory for something. You can't be serious. 
Um, and not, not that I don't believe that there's beans on other planes, that there are other planes. I believe this thing's much more complicated than that. But the way I'm, the way the Keith role is played out, I'm very suspicious of things for whatever the reason is. It's part of my klesha, right? <clears throat> klesha meaning anything that keeps you off the path, which is funny because one time Lama Losan said to me, he goes, you know, Keith, your need to know can become klesha as well. Because I always have this like, well, hold on kind of attitude. You know, wait a minute. You said da-da-da-da, right? Uh, which, you know... Um, it was funny one time I hadn't been to uh, Satsang in quite a while. Lama Lohsan says, you know, I, I, he goes, we miss your explanations and your questions. And he, I just kind of smile. I go, do you? <laughs> he just kind of laughed. But um, so that, that was Sunday, right? Now on Thursdays, right, when it would just be like a handful of us in the shrine room, and we would be doing the medicine Buddha practice or whatever it was, whatever reading or studying or talking that was taking place, he would say, look, you are Chinreze. There is no Chinreze on some other whatever. Like, you're, you're it. You know, which is interesting because it reminds me of when I was first learning the medicine Buddha sadhana. And, and part of the visualization, you were sitting in front of the medicine Buddha, exchanging this like light stream out of your chest or whatever. <clears throat> and he goes, you are the medicine Buddha. And I said, oh, like we're the same thing. He goes, no, 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 that's you. And I remember going, oh, like twins. He's like, no. And I go, oh, like a mirror. He goes, no, <laughs> that's you. And it took eons for me to like, like what kind of trippy ass shit is he talking about? But there's, so there's layers to this, right? And I think there's, but for me, uh, the way I'm wired, me praying to things outside of myself doesn't work. Which is why spending all that time with Badahari, you know, as a Hare Krishna was, was strange because they're almost like <clears throat> this literal uh, version of this thing and, and they, they believe everything so literally. Uh, you know, and then that Krishna is this actual person. Now, there's a lot of debate as to whether or not Krishna lived. Uh, a lot of people believe Krishna and Ram were actually kings that lived at certain times. Um, to be honest, there's probably more proof that those people existed than Jesus, which is fucking hilarious to me. Because uh, I don't know that Krishna was actually a king, much less do I believe Jesus was a person. Like, you know, with the whole Jesus thing, is like, if there wasn't a single, like, I, I can't, I'm fucking, one time this, uh, this guy is very evangelical Christian, I don't even know what the fuck he was talking about, but this was at work one day, and uh, when I was working as a designer, and he goes, you know, we all know where Muhammad and Buddha are buried, but we don't know where Jesus is buried. And I just piped in and I said, yeah, because like they were people that lived. So, you know, we, <laughs> which it didn't go over well because he was talking to a bunch of like-minded people. And I outed myself as the only person in the room that probably uh, <clears throat> has a lot of questions. So, and those of you that are on that trip, um, sorry, that's just where I'm at with it. Um, I don't even care if it's real. It doesn't even matter to me. So please do not begin inundating me with your uh, opinions about the Bible, which you got from people that have belief in the Bible. That have, it, it, like, I, I will listen to you when you step outside of your own shit for a while and study something else for a while. But until then, essentially what you did is you watched one funny movie, decided it was the funniest movie in the world, and now you're trying to convince me that it's the funniest movie in the world when you haven't seen all of the fucking movies. That's where I'm at with religion. So. <laughs> um, but, this, that, but everyone's wired. This kind of plays into it. Everyone's wired to believe what they're going to believe. How they're ever they're going to believe it. You know? And... In, you know, it's, it's, this also leads me to these other things where like back to this widget thing, 
And this, look, I'm doing this because this is a buildup of like stupid DMs and emails I've gotten over the years. And like, I've never, I don't think I've ever addressed it. I think I have, but I haven't. I don't know. I just, it was stuck in my craw this morning. Um, because I saw something that reminded me of this thing that reminded me of this thing that reminded me of the next thing, you know, I'm like jumping out of bed like, motherfucker, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, I don't, you know, look, like as far as widgets go, I don't look the way you think Mr. Spirituality is supposed to look. I know damn good and well I don't talk like it. And some of these motherfuckers are out here pretending that they feel a certain way or whatever. Like, look, I work in a field where compassion has to be front and center. But at the end of the day, you can also go fuck yourself. I love you, but fuck you. And I'm comfortable with that. I don't want anything bad to happen to you. I care about you, but you're being kind of an asshole. You know, it's like, you know, in, in this, in the, the field I work in, some people will cry. They're like, I feel like I failed. And I'll just sit you down and be like, well, here's the thing, man. You, you did. And it's okay, though. That's the, that's the deal, right? Like, it's okay to have failed. You were unskillful and you failed. You tried and you tried to grab the brass ring. You missed it. So you failed in grabbing the brass ring in that moment. It doesn't mean you don't try again. Right? Yeah, you lost at that game, but you were unskillful. So you get more skillful, you get better, you get sharper, you get stronger, you get faster, and you do it again. And that's, that's it. I don't think it's, I don't think you need a participation trophy. I don't think you should, you should, you should self-flagellate because you lost. I don't, don't beat yourself up over that's not going to fucking help. You know, you're still a bad bitch, but just try it again. You know, in fact, in my opinion, like if you just roll over on your back and like just cry to yourself, yeah, now you're failing. Fuck. You know, now you, you're acting like a failure. But, you know, we don't always like, you know, get it the first time. There's that great quote by Eknav Eshwan. I, I mean, Eshwan, I don't know how the fuck say his last name, but. Life holds us hostage when we're hypersensitive to appearances in a world of constant change, right? That like, if you need it to look a certain way and you need it, the outcome to be a certain way because you're attached to the outcome, well then this is going to be very difficult, you know? That's part of that attachment to the outcome, you know? Um, it's wild. Uh, it's funny, the, like a lot of times I run for time. Like I, you know, for, until I hurt my back a couple weeks back and kind of had to start over, I was trying to do the fastest 5k I could. Then my disc slipped again and I'm just, I'm out of my ass because that thing's fucking annoying. But, um, the other day I had already run two and a half miles in the morning, worked out, came home and just kind of felt. Like I have, I find joy in running. It's fun to me. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's joyful to me, you know, to just run is just so cool. Um, and incidentally, there's a really great podcast episode on Rich Roll, who I, I love. He wrote that great book, Chasing Ultra, which if, you know, you're approaching your forties, you're in your forties and you want to maintain any level of health. Granted, I'm not vegan, far from it, but like his book about his doing those, those Ironmans consecutively in a row, and I'll, it's so inspiring, but he has a great podcast called The Rich Roll Podcast. He's just a sweetheart of a human, uh, but he had um, uh, Chris McDougal and Eric Orton on. Chris McDougal wrote the book Born to Run, and I think Eric played like some sort of a role in it, but he wrote... Together they wrote Born to Run Free is a part two to Born to Run. And instead of it just being this crazy story, it, uh, a, a, a true story that happened, which was Born to Run. But it's a, also kind of like the science behind certain things, different exercises. But they were talking about the joy of running, like just being able to. And it, they, they said it so well. 
if you don't know who, got, who Caballo Blanco was, like, again, there's another dive you got to do. His name was, his real name was Micah True. Boy, I'm, this is a real, this is going to, this definitely has no topic. But they talked about, like, just, you know, Caballo's philosophy is like, I just want to run in any direction as long as I want. Well, anyway, the other day, after, you know, running two and a half miles and then in the morning then going to the gym, working out, did my work day. Um, actually did a, did a, uh, took clients snorkeling at noon and then, you know, we were going to do this two and a half mile paddle with them after clinical hours, which we ended up not doing, but cause the wind and the cold, but that day I was like, fuck it, man. I just want to see if I can run for two hours. <clears throat> and, you know, I was talking to my special person about it and I told her, I was like, you know, I, um, you know, I'm not going to worry about my time. I'm not going to worry about pace or cadence. I'm just going to go. And, like, if I feel like walking, I'll walk for a bit. If I don't, I don't. But I did that, and it was beautiful and rewarding, and I loved it. And what I'm getting at is that that was spiritual to me. Running is spiritual to me. Lifting things and being in that moment and and thinking about things, muscles firing, and how the body moves. Because the word spiritual comes from the word spiritus, you know? Um, I'm not trying to achieve some exalted state or some altered state of consciousness, though I think that you, you do inadvertently, you know, end up in those places running or whatever, hiking, anything. You know, um... But this, this thing about, like, what these spiritual people are going to look like. Like, I don't have long hair. I don't even have a long beard anymore. I used to. Um, I take care of myself. I like to think I look like I take care of myself. Um, I, uh, I'm not wafy. I'm not emaciated. I'm not vegan, I, you know what I mean, like, I just, I don't, I'm not that widget, man, that's not me, and I've been doing this a long fucking time, I've been trudging these little pads since 1996, you know, and back to that widget thing, the ultimate widget is religion, spirituality, God is a widget, you know, but my frustration will always be with the way, um, man, if I'm just really honest, I, and this is weird to say out loud, but like, see, I'm still trying to pat it in my head, like, don't say it like that. But I'll be honest, like, Christianity doesn't make any fucking sense to me. You know, you hear someone, <clears throat> I feel like I have to press it, preface this because he's so problematic, uh, but you hear Jordan Peterson talk about the Bible, uh, and a friend of mine recently goes, he's being attacked for his faith. I'm like, I don't think he has a faith like that. I think that, that as a psychologist... Uh, he understands the Bible in allegorical terms, which he talks about quite frequently. And when I hear the Bible discussed in allegorical terms, I get a lot out of it. I'm like, well, that's, that's interesting. And then I think to myself, well, why didn't Pastor Ron and, and Bill and, and Judy and Julie and all these fucking people that did horrible... Anyway, <laughs> uh, why didn't they teach the Bible is well it's because it requires a level of intellect study and time and they don't have the intellect or the time or the discipline to study something at a deeper level that's why do you have to I don't give a shit if it's Christianity Islam Buddhism Hinduism whatever you have to have a qualified teacher because you just reading this shit, you're going to take it literally, you're going to fucking twist it around, you're going to... Because sometimes the truth of it is very... Uh, is not what you want to hear, you know? 
uh, like the first time the, the Bhagavad Gita was first explained to me very literally you know so was the Ramayana I'm like you believe that there's a because here's the thing it doesn't matter if in, okay let's say the Ramayana and the Gita and the Bible let's say it's all very literal it's a historical account the second you tell me the Bible's a historical account I shut the fuck down like I got nothing for you like I can't with this shit like you don't know the history of the Bible you just you don't even know like of all of these books the Bible's got the weirdest history of all of them and like if you're gonna use that to tell me somebody else shouldn't get married you can directly go fuck yourself you know, um, you can definitely go fuck yourself. And who has the right to fall in love? And, and well, let's call it something. Shut your fucking hole. But these books, if, let's say they're all literal. Well, who gives a shit? Who gives a fuck? Because I don't know, maybe like, okay, so let's say it's all, you know, that there was a battle of Kirichetra and this family was torn in two. Let's say it was historical. Okay. I don't need any of that to be real for me to get the teaching that Krishna is, is imparting onto Arjuna in the Bhagavad Gita, which is part of the Mahabharata. Like, I don't need that to be true. Right? This is the, again, we go, like I mentioned that at the start, like what's true and what's real. It doesn't fucking matter. Who cares? You know, it's like when people talk about the big book in AA and and to say, well, you know, well, it was originally, it was a scam to get money. It's like, okay, well, so what? It's still filled with great shit, great information, things that you might want to take a look at, you know, shit, man. But when people, I guess the thing that got really up my ass today was (sighs) that there is a, this world has a lot to offer you, you know, and like people can't just read the Bible, take the spiritual lesson and then like move on. They got to make it fucking real. They got to make the, they got to find objective reality in things. There is no objective truth. Fuck it, man. There's no objective reality. Like, I, I don't know, like two cars hit each other. Objectively, we could say these two objects hit one another, but the experience that the drivers are having and the people that are watching is all completely subjective and all different. No two people, that's a stupid saying that, uh, that a man doesn't walk through the same river twice because it's never the same man, it's not the same river. There isn't an objective reality. You're not going to find it and you're not going to find the truth in a, in a religious text this is why when they say things like that the Bible's a living text, like that's unique. I like that one. So is fucking Huck Finn. Depending on where you're at in life, you're going to read shit differently. The Bhagavad Gita is something I've been reading on a fucking loop since 1996. I haven't heard it the same way twice. I've heard so many people comment on it, discuss it. It's always different. It depends on the teacher. It depends on me. It depends on all these things. The thing that's hilarious about religious texts is they prove to you that there's no objective reality, but yet people read them and try to create an objective reality or an objective truth out of a religious esoteric text. It's fucking laughable. You can't do it. This is all widgets, man. Like it all gets described to you and then you buy in and who knows why you buy in, but you should be curious as to why you buy in so readily. You know, like, why, why did these things make sense to me so early? Like, why? I don't know. So I'd take a look at it. You know, why did I... The, the most interesting one was Buddhism. Because coming from somebody who's spending all this time at the Krishna temple and then going to this Buddhist Sangha and sitting there and being very like, what the fuck? If I'm honest, there just wasn't enough liveliness in it for me to be entertained. Like that's like, you know, you go to the Krishna temple, there's kirtan, there's food, there's a lecture, there's, I don't know, women in saris. And then you go to this Buddhist thing and everybody's wearing a poncho and a turtleneck and it's really quiet and everybody's mumbling in Tibetan. It's like, what the fuck is this? This is boring. 
And they're just talking about emptiness, death, you know. But then next thing you know, like, I was so, like, averse to it that it, like, tricked me, (laughs) you know. Because with all the aversion, I kept asking questions that, like I said in the beginning, may have been confused as being confrontational, right? But it led me to understanding it deeper. It led me to a much deeper understanding because what happens is you start out reading like this is all about death and emptiness and darkness and then one day it flips poles and it's not about that at all. You know, and, and, I, and I got there because I pushed and I questioned and I didn't just fucking believe it. Because when I tried to do that at the Christian Temple, to be honest with you, you know, like I got interesting responses, but everybody still believed that Hanuman was a fucking talking monkey that actually lived. And, and I, here's the thing, whether Hanuman, I don't care. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter because the teachings of Han, like what you learn from Hanuman in the Ramayana is so much more um, valuable as an allegory. You know, if you looked at Jesus and the devil as allegory, you get more out of it than just some, man, you know, my favorite thing. If you ever grew up in a church, you are so used to hearing, you get like the tattooed preacher, man, Jesus was the ultimate badass. No, he wasn't. Like, stop it. Just get to the fucking allegory so we can all learn something. But this thing, you know, Jesus was an outlaw hippie and that's why you should love him. Like, I don't know, man. You know, like I'm a Jesus freak, man. Look at my tattoos. Shut up. But what if you just looked at it as allegory? You know, like, because when you try to make the whole Jesus mythology real and like try to apply reason to God essentially emanating into a human being uh, that then... Uh, has to die as the sacrificial lamb in order for God, the thing that created everything, to forgive itself, essentially? Is that what you're telling me? That, like, like that's fucking... When you try to make that objectively real and, and you don't apply the allegory to it, it is so fucking dumb. It's so stupid. It doesn't make any sense. Without the allegory, all of these stories are just retarded. Yes, I use the R word. I know. I'm neurodivergent. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that, I guess. But do you see what I'm saying? It's like if you take the allegory out of it, you just have a bunch of dumb stories that don't make any fucking sense, even as far as a story goes. Like if you're writing a story, I thought about this reading the Mahabharata the first time. I was like, this is either the worst story ever written or it's true that's where I was I didn't understand the allegory of it that the Mahabharata is filled with all these little tiny parables and stories but the first time I read it they're like yep this is real it's a historical account of this family blah 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 and so you read it and you're like this is kind of a shit story like this isn't good and it's either true or it's just really horribly written you know but then you get to the, you know, there's a deeper meaning to it. That's why it's called esoteric. It's a complainy episode, and it's probably the longest one I've done in a while, which is kind of funny and very telling. Um, yeah, I don't know. Get to the allegory about it. Like, you know, while I'm on the topic... Um, It's so funny when someone calls something satanic in a bad way. I get offended. Because I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. (laughs) Satan's not a bad guy. The devil's not a bad guy. And again, if you take it at face value and you don't do actual reading about where does the idea of a devil come from, especially within Western culture, are framed by Western Christianity and you get into that about oh these fuckers just hated Pan 
You know, like that, this was just an attack on paganism or attack on the religion that was there before the fucking Christians came in and started slaughtering people. Yeah. And the, the devil is, you know, usually characterized as green until a certain point, then it's, then it's red. It's kind of like when you find out that one nation under God wasn't always in the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, you're like, wait a minute. You mean? Yeah, it wasn't always there because one nation under God is kind of a crazy statement to make. That, that puts us into, like, this special place that, like, because we've got God. Well, did we not just, well, so we just realized that in the 50s? Is that what that was about? Like, it's crazy. That this plot of land on the other side of this line in the dirt. <laughs> I'm getting cut off in traffic right now by a dumb child. Um, there you go. There you go, stupid. See, here we go. I love you. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, but you're kind of an idiot. They have a sticker that says love it or leave it with an American flag. And a barbed wire license plate frame. Kind of into this. Hopefully there's a Tasmanian devil tattoo somewhere on this person's shoulder blade. Um, yes, I'm, that's, here you go. I'm very judgmental. Uh, I don't know what to tell you. It's part of the Keith role. Um, I work on it. Um, there is a piece of me that wonders, like, because I work with people all day, every day, and you're just in their shit all day long. And then you're expected to go out in the world and just be nice to everybody. It's like, you know what? I'm just kind of over human stuff. I have to go back to work tomorrow. Um, my day's off for Sunday, Monday. So. Um, right now I'm cruising by um, Donald Trump's house. Again, per usual. You know, I look at some of the, like, the statues and things where these, like... Some of Palm Beach right now are all these, like, crazy houses, and I wonder if there's symbols for things. Like, what is this? There's, like, some sort of, like, an occult symbol. Like a... It's weird. I do that a lot. Oh, shocker. Because, like, on the gates to, to Mar-a-Lago, there's, like, this, this statue of, like, it looks like a some sort of little Dutch boy sailor holding onto this lamppost. The lamp is, like, bending. It looks like it's just really windy, and he's holding on. Like, I wonder what that means. I feel like, like, lamp, light... Holding on to the light. I start, I'll go into like a crazy place with that shit. And the next thing you know, I'm like looking up things. I, I have stacks of books about symbols. It's crazy. People keep buying them for me. Um, anyway, but this was just a self-indulgent bitch rant. Um, I know that. Uh, <laughs> also, yes, the podcast is monetized now. Not a lot of money. But there's going to be ads, and um, I apologize if the ads, um, I heard like there was a finance one or something, which I thought was, I was like, man, should I go back in and uncheck anything having to, but, but no, I think it's funnier to just leave it there, because I don't think money's real. It's just this weird electronic point system that we've all agreed to abide by, so we can have the goods and services that we were all born to deserve. Anyway, um, yeah, so just ignore the people advertising. You don't have to fucking, I mean, they're not supporting me that much. Maybe I'll feel differently if I get like a sweet athletic greens sponsorship. I don't know. I don't know. I would just really like to, um, not, if I'm honest, like I don't want to work in, um, mental health forever because people are just they just wear you down man um I would love to write books talk about it and then help people privately like one-on-one -on -one stuff but I don't want like a caseload or anything like that like, oh, god you know sometimes like I'll, I'll do RRT sessions you know because I don't know, like, usually it's just, like, 
they need help. I know I can help, so I got to do it. Some people, you're like, dude, I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> sometimes it's like trauma happens to people that already had personality problems to begin with. And now the trauma just gets to be a fun little hat they wear because now they're the special person. So, anyway. <clears throat> so, I guess the point of this was that if you're going to hang your hat on something, I don't know, do a little research. Push yourself into the places that scare you about it. You know, if you feel attached to it, like it's got to be real, it's got to be true, that should scare you. A long time ago, I always said, I, I, well, I, I, conf- I went into the whole Buddhist thing with the idea, like, I don't want to be trapped in Buddhism. And I haven't been. I, I've played around in the occult. I've, you know, and found a lot of, I found a lot of beneficial shit in the occult, as the kids call it. And in, you know, magic and what the, uh, the squares call witchcraft. Um, I found, in fact, like I would say a lot of my um, most important practices and and things of that nature probably came from the occult more so than than anything else, honestly. The application of things that I've learned in the the Vedas accompanied with the occult, I think, have been uh, invaluable, honestly. So... um, uh, back to, uh, oh, real quick, that was something I wanted to address. Uh, a long time ago, I did an episode about my own practices, which, you know, the spiritual ones and then the athletic ones, right? The quote-unquote spiritual and the quote-unquote athletic. Um, but when I did that, there was somebody who had commented saying that running wasn't a spiritual practice and that lifting was a spiritual practice because it would make jocks very spiritual people. Um, a little bit about me, uh, didn't play sports, uh, in school because I had horrible grades and I'd rather go surf than study or skate. I'd rather do anything other than school shit. Um, but I was in martial arts, kickboxing, um, so I had that, um, and I guess for some of you that qualifies me as a meathead, because later I got into jujitsu and all that stuff, um, but to the person or people that might not think those things aren't spiritual experiences, uh, probably because you don't do it, um, that's how you wouldn't know, because you haven't run 13 miles barefoot on asphalt to find out what happens if you keep going, you know, you'll, uh, I don't know, go to a yoga class every day and claim that you had a spiritual experience, but, you know, which maybe it did, I don't know, not my place to judge what you're doing, but just understand the widget idea that running might be a spiritual experience, you know, it's, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day when I was running, um, some of you know what, re- what rebirth breathing is, some of you don't, if you don't know, I don't know, do your own homework, uh, but, um, I've participated in a lot of rebirth breathing. Um, you know, I know it, you wouldn't know it because I don't wear Thai fishing pants and, and random wooden beads around my neck. Um, but, uh, I was running the other day. I was like, this is like, what the fuck is the difference in this and rebirth breathing? Um, not that there's no, there is a massive difference, but it was interesting because I was getting into a place cardio-wise where I was, I was like, oh, this hurts, this is uncomfortable, I don't fucking like this. And then I was thinking, I was like, dude, I used to pay money to lay on a mat and do this in a dark room with a bunch of other people. It's the same breathing at the same pace, which was wild to think about. And so then I just kind of became okay with breathing at that rate. Um, when you're at a stoplight waiting for people to cross the road and you see them just slowing down and pointing randomly in the sky because they look confused, you know you're in trouble because the second that light turns green, they're not going to be out of the way. I don't know what is going on down here right now. I mean, I guess it's the height of season. I guess so. The other day, oh my God, there's like a Ferrari car show on the island. Oh, I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, uh, running for me is very spiritual. And it's done wonders for my mental health. And, you know, when you think about what these activities like running, uh, lifting, whatever, would do for your mental health, it's not just about the chemical response. For me, it's been much deeper. Um, it is the ability to push past something and running more. So lifting, going to the weight room and moving heavy things is fun and it's, it makes you feel good and there is a benefit to it. But for me, maybe walking does this. I know I, I walk a lot, but I also tend to walk in a weight vest because I can't just do something for fun. But running especially has been a very important piece of my mental health because what it's done is it's that, that place where you get to where you can't, you don't think you can keep doing this. You don't think that you can keep going. You, you want to stop, right? Uh, you learn to push through that. It's just like when you do diaphragmatic breathing for free diving and you hold your breath and your, your diaphragm spasming, everything's freaking out. And then you kind of break through into this euphoric state where you're just not breathing. Same thing doing rebirth breathing. You, you breathe and breathe and breathe. At, at times you kind of stop breathing. Um, running, you feel all the lactic acid and all this stuff in your legs. It's, it can become quite uncomfortable and then you push through it and almost, it's almost like you're running on air and you're just floating. But to know that you can keep going, right? That when you think you're done, and you think you need, you know, it's like my gripe about, you know, me time, which for self-care for a lot of you looks like just sitting down and like doing nothing. But when you're dealing with, you know, when you're in, I'm a big advocate for just sitting down doing nothing. Like I, yesterday I actually took a rest day. I didn't do a single thing, mainly because, uh, uh, this person, <laughs> she knows who she is, said that I couldn't. <laughs> she said I couldn't just not, like, lift or run or whatever. And so I was like, yeah, I can. And she didn't believe me, so I, I did. Um, so like, I guess I have to be forced or competed into a rest day. But, um, so, but when you feel the weight of the world, the weight of being alive... And in those times is when you want to, you know, sit on the couch, veg out, do a self-care day, me day, which means you just sitting there. I think that's not the time to do it. That's what I've learned. You know, it's like do those, but do it when you're in a better place, because when you do it, when you're in a bad place, you're kind of reinforcing whatever it is in the subconscious that wants you to shut down. You're saying, OK, I'm going to shut down now which isn't what you're, you really should be doing. You know, as far as like, you know, if you look at it from like a clinical cognitive behavioral place, then you're really reinforcing whatever shit is in the mind that, um, that, makes, that makes you isolate, that makes you shut down when things become heavy. Does that make sense? So the world becomes heavy, depression becomes heavy, it all becomes very heavy. I'm watching someone speed to a drawbridge and they just cut me off to do it. It's like, where are you going, stupid? Um, but you, so the, the weight of depression, the weight of whatever your thing is, the weight of, I don't know, someone dies and you're going through it. Whatever it is, you're going through it and it's hard and it's heavy and you just want to date yourself to do nothing. I don't know that that is the best time to do that. <clears throat> Because the thing in your mind and your subconscious and your operating system that wants you to isolate, shut down when you've done it in the past and it's been detrimental, when you shouldn't have shut down, when you should not have isolated, you're doing it again. And you're doing it, you're, it's the same thing. It's not different. So if you want those self-care, those, those, those days, right? <clears throat> Sorry. Maybe you do it on a day that's more appropriate. Like, you know, the day before yesterday, I had taken my body battery, according to my Garmin, down to a six or a five. Like, I had nothing left. 
but yesterday I was in an emotionally good place. I felt good. And so doing nothing, I was actually very productive in my rest day, believe it or not, you know, um, and yeah, I did do, I sat and played guitar on the couch or watched the office and like did all that stuff. But it's kind of like when you're running, you know, and you're on a long run, <clears throat> which is relative. I mean, two miles might be long for you. But <clears throat> when it gets hard and you want to stop, anyone that runs knows this. If you stop and you sit or you like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk for a bit because this is uncomfortable, it's so hard to get that momentum back. It's so hard. That's inertia. Object of motion tends to stay in motion. Object of rest tends to stay at rest. It's, it's real hard, and I found that to be very real when it comes to my mental health. Is that my ability to push past it, to know that I'm... It's the thing where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I feel really bad. I'm in a bad place. But I can reasonably look at it and go, okay, I haven't always been in this place. I can keep going. It's very important because sometimes we feel like we can't keep going. Sometimes we're done. And that's not a good place to be. Anyway, I hope I said something remotely helpful. Oh, my God, I've been talking for almost an hour. Um, okay, I'm probably going to release this early. But um, anyway, if you want to help me out, help support this thing I'm trying to do, go to the infinite spark of bean.com if you have questions comments you want to talk i'm out here holler at me i love you Bye. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.